2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
3: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Wayne Ferbert. Uh, he is the co founder and principal of Zega Financial, which is a registered investment advisor. He's also the author, co author of a new book called Buy and Hedge The Five Iron Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. Welcome to the Money After Show, Wayne. Thanks
4: for having me, Jordan.
3: Let's just start with a little bit of your background and what uh, Zega is about, and why you wanted to do this book.
4: Well, uh, my background started in the, actually the online brokers business with uh, TD Ameritrade, where I spent uh, a little over a decade uh, as a senior executive, and and uh, my co-author uh, also uh, sh- uh, shared that same decade with me in Ameritrade. And our job while we were there was building the products for online investors uh, to help make them better investors and help them realize their financial goals and. That's actually what led us to uh, to write the book, and then eventually uh, launch our financial advisor, which actually takes the tenants of the book and, and implements them in clients' accounts. But we've written the book so that people can do it themselves. We just see the challenge in the market. Uh, the last three years has been a, a, a real heck of a challenge for the individual investor. I mean, heck, you can actually say the last 10 years has been a real challenge for the individual investor. If you just look at markets are roughly flat over the last 10 years and. While they're roughly flat over the last three years, it's actually been a hard three years to be invested with the volatility the way it's been. We met with our clients, met a lot of clients, built products for them, and the lesson we learned was that the clients who managed for risk just did better in their portfolios. They performed better. And so that's uh, that's the lesson we learned, Jordan. We wanted to write about it and show people how to manage for risk. And that's what buying hedge is about. Hedging is about managing for your risk, and that's what we do.
3: Most people think, and it's the part of your book headline that's crossed out, that buy and hold is the right way to do things. That you buy good quality stuff, don't worry about the day-to-day fluctuation, and you'll do fine in the long term. What's wrong with that, and why do you need to buy and hedge instead of buy and hold? Yeah, I mean, the title uh, was, was picked intentionally. Um, the
4: alliteration in the, in the words buy and hedge is being uh, something some people, we, we hoped, would relate to the thought of the concept of buy and hold. I mean, it's all intentional. Buy and hold... You know, it's been a strategy that, that mutual funds certainly have lived by for, for decades now and it's a it's a uh, a strategy that many individual investors have lived by for years. The problem is if you've just been buying hold market for the last uh you know, like I said earlier, three years or a decade, you're flat. You're not growing your money. I mean imagine if you're in your forties or fifties and this is your prime earnings years and therefore it's the prime years that you've been setting aside money from your earnings to invest. They just haven't grown. They haven't grown the way you've needed them to. And so now retirement's looking further and further off for you uh, if you're in those age groups. And so if you've been buy and hold, it just hasn't worked. And so and so investors are looking for something a little smarter, and that's really uh, where buy and hedge comes in. If you would have limited your downside risk in the last three years, particularly, or even in the last 10 years, because there have been multiple market corrections in the last 10 years, not just the, the ones you've seen in the, in the most recent three, you would have outperformed the market because you would have protected your capital in the sudden and fast down-moving markets with your hedges. And then that capital would have been there to grow when the market steadily moved back up. I mean, that's been one of the characteristics of the market the last three years has been the tremendous volatility. Although people call it volatility, the reality is uh, volatility has become a pseudonym for just fast downward-moving markets. Uh, all of the highest measures of volatility historically in the market have always been in downward-moving markets, and that's been true over the last three years. So markets, when they move down, tend to move down quickly. Uh, when they move up, they tend to move up more gradually. And so a hedging strategy is always going to work well in that kind of market. So if you believe volatility is here to stay, which we do, we think it's the new market norm, certainly being hedging is going to help you outperform. And we lay out how to do that in the book.
3: How do most people react when the stock market starts falling sharply and? In- what would be a better way to react? Well,
4: yeah, you know, emotions really take over uh, your, your investing psyche when the market falls quickly, and it's natural, right? Your your investment money—they represent your future, they represent uh, your retirement, they represent your kids' college education. You know, we have a chapter in the book uh, uh, titled "You know, don't forget why you invest, right? Don't forget why you're doing this on your own to begin with, and it's because." You know, money is a means to an end, right? You're, you're, you're trying to grow it and save it and grow it for the purpose of meeting some, um, some forward goal. But when the mark, when your, when you, your portfolio value is swinging in value up and down every day, as precipitously as it has the last three years, it just takes a toll on you, right? Emotionally, it's hard to see that, that, that move up and down. But if you've hedged your portfolio, you effectively have controlled for volatility. You'll reduce the volatility of your portfolio. And honestly, you'll sleep better at night. Emotions almost never make you better investors. And was there ever an important decision you ever had in your life, Jordan, where you said, oh, I wish I had been more emotional when I made that decision? It virtually never happens in almost any decision in life. Well, certainly that's true for investing too. Emotions are not going to make you a better investor. But imagine how much less emotional you'd be if your portfolio is not swinging in value plus or minus 5, 6, 7, 10% in just a week here or a day here or there like we've experienced in some days in 2008, 2009.
3: So there are two different points of view on emotions. Some would say you should be a momentum investor and buy what's going up because it's going to keep going up, and you get out before it goes down. And the other point of view is the contrarian investor, where you should buy kind of actively against your emotions. And if you really buy into something that's hated, it's so cheap that it's probably going to turn around. What is the what's wrong with either being a momentum or contrarian investor?
4: Well, let's, let's talk about both of them, right? So. Momentum investors, I, I, I can understand the rationale. I understand why people want to buy things that are, that are moving up. But how do you know when it's going to stop? How do you know it's not going to turn on you? I've just never met anyone who actually times the market, who has shown a consistent track record of beating the market. Because let's face it, if you're going to be a momentum investor, you are still timing the market. You still are picking when to put your money in, when to take it out. And I just, I've never seen someone who actually can do that on a consistent basis. And win over and over. So I think that can be difficult. As for contrarian, I actually, there's actually a lot personally that I like about contrarian investing, but I don't think contrarian investment by itself is just feeling your emotions and doing the opposite of it, right? I think contrarian investment at its core is really, you know, finding the beaten down stocks that you're right. It's, you have to stomach them to want to own them. I actually personally uh, follow some contrarian styles, uh, in my investing. We don't write about it in the book. But we certainly write about how you can be a contrarian investor in the book. Because, you, you know, think about it. If you've hedged your position, let's say you have a contrarian stock, like uh, some people would argue being long U.S. banks or European banks would certainly be a contrarian investment right now, right? You'd have to stomach them to want to invest them. Well, imagine how much easier it would be to stomach them if you hedged them. And that's actually what our, what our book really promotes to people, is if you have hunches about stocks or about industries, especially those that you know, We have one of our rules is unleash your inner guru, and we encourage you to make those investments in those stocks when you have a strong feeling about them. But then hedge them, because if you hedge them, you you take away all that risk if you are very wrong. And so, actually, we encourage you if you're having those feelings to make those sort of plays. We would not encourage you though to do it just on a momentum basis, because momentum requires you to time. But contrarian, I think you can apply some real logic about value investing to it and then hedge. I I actually would endorse that sort of an investment approach for at least a proportion of your portfolio. We recommend around 20% in our
3: book. In the beginning of your book, you talk about life being a series of risk and return decisions, um, and that applies to investing as well. Kind of give us an analogy. What are some risk and return decisions people make in their normal lives, and how can they learn from that in making investment decisions?
4: Well, uh, the one we actually put in the book, which I think is, uh, one of the better ones, is, uh, is, you know, choosing, uh, whether to change employers or not, right? I mean, we all go through, we all, well, have jobs, we all go through a point in our lives where we either get a better offer somewhere else, or we, uh, or, or we, uh, you know, don't like the job that we're doing, and we think we, uh, we want to change, and we think the grass is greener somewhere else. Uh, and so we think about those, those particular choices. Well, that's a risk-reward decision, right? You know what you have in your current employer. You know what your income is there. You know how to show up every day and be successful in that job. You don't know what it's going to be like at the next job. You don't know, I mean, you might know what the commute's going to be like to your next job. Uh, that might be predictable, but you don't know how your boss is going to actually behave day to day. You don't know what your coworker's going to be like. You don't definitively know whether or not the company is a good company to actually work for or is going to still be in business. In three or four years, and so there's some risk in taking in, in in choosing a new job. That's a life decision. Almost everyone makes a pro and con list when they're thinking about those kind of decisions. Well, you should make those sort of pro and con de- lists list, list when you make an investment decision too. But if you had to spend the kind of energy making every making that sort of uh, a pro and con list on every single investment, I mean, think about the last time you changed a job and how long you ag you might have agonized over it or thought about it. You had to do that for every single investment. That would be difficult. I mean, that would be a very draining process. That's why we recommend hedging, is it changes, it changes that continuum, it changes that paradigm significantly. So you don't have to spend nearly as much time if you know you've protected your downside on it. So imagine if uh, when you were you were thinking about choosing that new job, imagine if your new employer and your old employer got together and offered you the right to to after you've tested your new job for 90 days to go back to your old job, no questions asked. Right? Would you would you want that right or that option? Well, that would, that's sort of the equivalent of being hedged. You've hedged your, your particular option for a, a, new, a new job. And so that's an example of where, you know, if, if, of the same value you could get if you could hedge a job. So that's sort of a wild example. You'd never be able to do that in real life. But the great thing is you can actually do that in the markets. There are tools called options which allow you to actually build hedges in your portfolio so you can protect your downside.
3: You talked about emotion uh, being your enemy. We've talked about that a little bit here. Uh, You're saying, but you should bid emotion goodbye completely. How how is that possible, not to have any emotional attachment whatsoever to investing?
4: Well, it's not possible to completely uh, bid it goodbye, right? It's still your money, and your money is always going to feel uh, important to you. It's always going to create emotion because of what money represents for your future. We said it earlier, right? It's your kids' college education. It's your retirement. But when you hedge and you protect your son, so we define hedging in our book as You have limited the potential downside of your portfolio. You've put an absolute limit into how much your portfolio can lose. So if all I did was buy a whole basket of stocks, well, conceivably all those stocks could go to zero. I could lose an unlimited amount. The market could tank 40 percent or 50 percent tomorrow off of some really bad news. It could could experience 08 or 09 all over again. I could lose 40 or 50 percent if all I did was long. Well, our definition of being hedged is you you have built in the, the mechanisms using options. to to actually limit the total amount that you could lose in your portfolio to some amount that's less than that, whether it's be 10%, 20%, everyone's risk tolerance is different. You can actually set your hedges, your losses that you're comfortable with at different levels, and we actually call that sort of your sleep number. We've all heard of the sleep number bed, right, where you can adjust your own bed to be the comfort you want. We think the total amount you you would feel comfortable losing in your portfolio is sort of your sleep number. You can build your hedges so that you'll never lose more than that amount of money, that's the port. That's the spot you should feel comfortable in, and it should be, this, it should be the spot that makes us that you are emotionally, fairly emotionless, then, uh, about your portfolio. It should, be there, it should be the amount of money that makes us that you don't feel like you have to log in every day to see how it's going, how your portfolio is doing, that you'd be comfortable only logging in every couple of days or every couple of weeks to see how it's doing uh, because you've built in the heads You know your downside is protected. That's the equivalent of taking emotion out of investing. When you feel like you don't have to log in every day just to see how it's doing because you know you're protected, you know you've taken the emotion out of investing. That's a great litmus test for you.
3: You're saying one of the most important things is to preserve capital first, avoid risk first. Most people, when they invest, emphasize the gains first. So is that a major paradigm shift for most people?
4: Oh yeah. Oh, it completely is, Jordan. Uh, I could, and I can tell from that question that you read the book, right? I mean, it's we we, we spend a lot of energy in the book. About talking about the clients that that uh, my my partner my co-author Jay Prestuchelli and I have met over the years uh, in our time in the financial services industry, we've met thousands of clients through through different events. And one of the things they almost all have in common, I mean, 99% of them have in common, is if you ask them about the risk in their portfolio, the majority of them can't tell you much about the risk, but they can tell you a lot about the return. And in fact, a lot of them will even think they're, they'll say, oh yeah, I can tell you about the risk in their portfolio, and they start to describe it, and what you actually, what they actually find they're describing is the returns, not the risk. What our book helps out, outline for everyone, that whenever you buy a stock, or you go along any position, whether it's the market, or a sector, or an individual stock, or a fixed income, all you've bought is risk, not return. You know what I mean? Investing is all about the risk and return continuum, right? And the two of those things are always going to be inextricably linked, right? Okay. We're, we're,
3: we have to take a break, Wayne, actually. We'll be right back. Uh, this okay. is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Wayne Ferber. Uh, he is the author of a new book, uh, Buy and Hedge The Five Iron Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. We'll be back after this.
1: Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 472 5790 The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
2: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Now back to Jordan.
3: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Wayne Ferber. Uh, He is a co founder and principal of Zega Financial LLC. He is also the author co-author of a book called Buy and Hedge, The Five Iron Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. Welcome back to the show, Wayne. Thanks, Jordan. We were talking about risk versus return and how people get those confused. Maybe just finish your idea on that.
4: Yeah, you know, the individual investor really almost always thinks about return because return is what's most important. We only invest our money to grow it, right? We don't invest our money for the purpose of fun or the enjoyment. There are some people who do, but for the most part, we all just, you know, invest our money for the purpose to grow it. And so, it ultimately, that success in growing it is measured in returns. But we all know you can't get returns without risk. And so, and whenever you buy a stock, you buy anything, what you've bought is risk. You've bought the risk of the company going out of business or going bankrupt or missing its earnings call or of some scandal in the CEO office. I mean, you've bought all this risk. You've bought no guarantee of return. All you've bought was risk. And so, clients don't really, but clients rarely can tell you, express to you, currently right now, in my portfolio, my risk is X i I'm exposed to X risk or I have this much risk or I built a portfolio that's this risky. We actually teach you four risk metrics in the book to help you better measure uh the risk in your in the portfolio. It's one of our iron rules it's always know those four risk metrics so that you have a much better understanding of risk. Because like we say in the book, risk is the in, is the input. That's what you've bought. Return is the output. It's just what you're hoping for. It's what you're planning for in your portfolio to get the growth. Most investors don't just don't think enough about risk and that's the challenge, is getting to think about risk. And we actually have studied our clients and figured out that that's really what makes uh, uh, a lot of the better clients better investors.
3: And You were saying that when you worked at Ameritrade, you kind of were watching real time what was happening with clients. What are some of the trends you saw as to how uh, they did and the, particularly the more active traders? What kind of experience did you see that going on there in the real world?
4: Yeah, one of the real impetus uh, for, for Jay Paschicelli, my and I to write this book was a study that actually Jay commissioned at Ameritrade. Uh, around our clients. So we looked at all of our clients and we, we identified who the very 10% best clients performance in terms of their returns. And then we looked at the clients who were there, who were in the bottom 10% of the worst performance. The ones who blew themselves up and didn't do very well investing at all. And everyone else was just sort of in the middle along a bell curve. Imagine a bell curve in which all the rest are sort of just evenly, you know, evenly distributed in it. In a traditional bell uh, distribution, so we looked at those top ten percent and those bottom ten percent. We said, let's compare them. So we know that they're the worst performing and the best performing. But let's compare them. Let's see whether there's some attribute we find among the best performing ones that is not among the worst performing ones. And we really found no demographic difference. Right, same education levels, same wealth levels, same average ages, uh... The, the same amount of investment experience. And we didn't even find that one was more more experienced in investing than the other. And we said, oh my gosh. How can they be so similar when their returns are so different? What we found is among the group that performed better, they managed for risk where the other ones didn't. And the way that they managed for risk is they actually used things like stop orders or stop-loss orders. They knew what their exit point was for getting out, and then they weren't afraid to get out. The people who did the worst were the ones who just had losing positions and then never exited them. They didn't know what their exit point was. They didn't manage for risk. And by not managing for risk, they did materially worse. That's actually what one of the things that drove us to, to want to write this book. Is It actually led us on to the idea of hedging and starting to do it in, in, uh, in our portfolio, in our own portfolios. You can go to www.buyandhedge.com, and you can see um, our, our performance metrics for managing our own money using the buy-and-hedge approach for the last three and a half years. And, and, and you'll see that that performance... You know, we we would fall in that in that higher category of being the better performers, and of course, what may, what sets us apart the last three years, we've been managing for risk by hedging.
3: Now there are different ways to hedge. Uh, one of them you talk about is indexing. Uh, so how can indexing work to cut your risk and increase your return?
4: Well, there's uh there's we actually advocate three techniques in the book. There's asset allocation, there's indexing, and there's hedging. And so indexing by itself is not a way to hedge necessarily unless you're actually find a short index versus a, a long index but what we like about indexing during which I think we're, we're headed here is is in their indexes offer a lot of hedging options and they act actually offer them using options so ironically they the hedging options that they offer actually mechanically a, the investment tool called options these are these are the calls puts that you can buy on many indexes these are ETFs or these are index option futures. These are these are the tools that we advocate for using to index in your portfolio. Indexing what's great about indexing is if you've indexed uh they're you know using broad indexes and you find that you've you're, you're gonna build a diversified portfolio because a majority of ninety nine percent of all indexes that are built are widely diversified indexes. So you'll find that you've diversified your portfolio which helps reduce your risk. But then these indexes all have options to trade on them. And the put options and the call options allow you to do things like build collars or, or buy put protection, uh, which is like buying insurance for your portfolio, uh, which allow you to protect your downside. And that's fa- effectively what allows you to get hedged. So what we love about indexing is there are lots of tools for indexing that allow you, that allow you to get hedged. And the thing is, is, 10 years ago, Jordan, you couldn't do this. Ten years ago, an individual investor couldn't do really what well was outlined in his book. The option market wasn't robust enough, and the index market was not nearly robust enough. They're not, think about the growth in the ETFs. So these are exchange-traded funds, which are all, uh, uh, data, which are, uh, funds that are organized similar to mutual funds, but they, they trade daily on the stock exchanges, so you can get in and out of them with a bid ask as opposed to an end-of-day price like a mutual fund. Well, the growth in that work market has been just explosive the last 10 years, and it's much more diverse, and and you can find a lot more investments in different sectors, uh, different indexes, different niches, to be able to get the diversification or get the exposure you want in your portfolio. That's been the change. 10 years ago, you couldn't do it. You can do it today, And, and that's really one of the things we really like about indexing, is that low cost and that availability of lots of hedging tools for them.
3: Just give me two or three examples of some index ETFs that you would use uh, to hedge your portfolio.
4: Well, so uh, one of the things we advocate in the book is having being broadly diversified uh, uh across broad market indexes and uh so if you wanted large cap exposure, uh you know the SP and 500 is a great uh, uh it's a great way to get large cap exposure. So there's an ETF called uh the Spider, is it's called, uh, SPDR, but the symbol is SPY. Uh it's an ETF, it's one of the most traded ETFs, one of the most liquid and largest ETFs in the world. It has a very robust options market on it, so if you wanted exposure to large caps, uh, you could use that. Uh, if you wanted exposure to mid-caps, uh, then uh, you could actually invest in the MDY. Uh, it's also large, not as large as the SQI, but given that it's mid cap stock as opposed to the large caps, it has a robust options market. Uh, there, are, there are ETFs like the IWM uh, on the uh, Russell 2000 uh, that can give you small cap ex- uh, exposure. Uh, they also have a very good options market so that you can also build the hedges that you want. Uh, those are three examples if you really wanted uh, the uh, the large cap, uh, large cap or I'm sorry, if you wanted the large broad sector exposure. Uh, and then how that, about that inverse we have to use if you have a
3: portfolio market. of, say, SP 500 companies, you, one way to hedge it would be to get a an inverse one. So if the market went down, you'd make up on your hedge what you're losing in your stocks. What would be some examples of inverse
4: well, ETFs you, you, you would create. like? Well, you know, you could, but we actually don't advocate for that in our um, in our approach, uh, Jordan. The reality is, is all of those funds tend to have larger. So those inverse that you're talking about, they can be effective, uh, but uh, you know, uh, I actually think they're more effective if your if your bias was just that you wanted to be uh, you wanted to be short the market, right? I wouldn't go go long the market some percentage of my portfolio and then go buy a whole nother ETF that's that's uh, then short the market. They get counter exposure. Why not just Reduce your exposure. The reality is those inverse ETFs, they have higher than average, uh, uh, management fees, which, you know, don't make them nearly as, a, as, a, as efficient a tool for hedging. Ultimately, the most efficient tool for hedging, the one that you can truly control your exposure for the cost that you want, are, is just using options. It's just finding the put market on the, on the long uh, ETF you want to be long, or finding the call market on the ETF that you want to be short. Uh, See, that's the smartest way to be hedged and much more cost-effective, and really control your downside and know exactly what your downside is. Building some ratioed portfolio like a 130-30 strategy uh, along the market then with a short ETF certainly is a reasonable approach uh, to investing in the market, but I don't find it to be nearly as efficient or easy to understand for the individual investor as using options.
3: You also talk about defensive hedging. We're going to get into options in more detail in the next section what are some other ways you can do defensive hedging that do not involve options?
4: Well, uh, we, we, listen, if you're going to be hedged, right, uh, really hedged, to us, we define hedged as, as uh, we actually don't talk a lot about the traditional defensive hedging of, uh, say, pair trading or, uh, you know, uh, matching shorts against longs that are not perfectly correlated we actually advocate for options or insurrection. We don't talk a lot about say pair trading or or um uh the the hedging of matching two um uh low correlated uh asset classes or two low correlation two to uh sectors that have historically low correlation. The reality is when the market turns uh, south quickly, it's amazing how highly correlated all those sectors and those different asset classes get. So we really actually don't talk a lot about that in, in the book, the, those sort of methods that hedge funds like to use, the more advanced methods. they're just It's hard to find tools to help you manage your exposure when you're doing this for the individual investor. I think it's easier for a professional money manager to manage his money that way. But ultimately, uh, we, again, we think the options market is a much more efficient and effective way to build your hedges.
3: There are these funds out there, the so-called market-neutral funds, that supposedly have perfect hedges. Is that a good strategy for somebody who doesn't want to do this themselves? Uh, it, I mean, it
4: can be. there. Those products are very new. I mean, that's the thing to know about a lot of those products, the market-neutral products, the, uh, new, new hedged, hedged, or the new hedged mutual funds uh, that are starting to come up, some of the absolute return funds. Uh, and a handful of them have had really great uh, uh, track records in the short time they've been out, but realize they've been out for a short time. So I think knowing exactly how those are going to work, uh, you know, each investor has to make his own decision for his portfolio. Uh, you know, some of them are, some of them are pretty good, but again, their, their track records have been so short. Uh, you know, I'd hesitate to just say that, um, you know, one of those market neutral is, is going to be, uh, is going to be the way, is going to be the, uh, something for you to just simply get invested in. What I will say is if those funds are structured to take advantage, to basically say the following, we're going to protect you when the market corrects violently downwards and we're going to try to make sure that you're long exposed for the stable sort of upward moving market, then I'd say that you're positional
3: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Wayne Furbert. Uh He is a co-founder and principal at Zega Financial. He is also the co-author of Buy and Hedge, The Five Iron Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. And we'll be back after this. <music>
2: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
3: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Wayne Ferbert. Uh, He is the co-founder of Zega Financial and also the author of Buy and Hedge, The Five Iron Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. And he has a website related to the book which is buyandhedge.com. Welcome back to the show, Wayne. Thank you, Jordan. One thing we want to talk about is taxes a little bit. Uh, if people are going to be doing a lot of short-term moves, particularly with options, uh, what are some of the uh, tax consequences they should realize about that?
4: Well, you know, options actually offer you uh, some, some, you know, for the smart investors, some interesting opportunities too, right? So uh, with options, you can uh, control your exposure at year end and sort of harvest your gains and losses while still staying long the uh, uh effectively the underlying uh uh investment. So uh they can be very efficient uh for you know sort of year end rebalancing. Uh, we're doing that for some of our clients right now, you know, in November and December, even October a little bit. We start we start summarizing the total gains and losses, both realized and unrealized in the portfolio and make sure that at year end uh they optimally uh, uh 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 tax position as possible going into the going into January first because you know if they had a lot of realized losses uh, but not a lot of realized gains, but they, but they had some unrealized gains, we could actually start to take them, uh, by just changing some of the options positions or, or, uh, you know, selling some of the stock and moving into options positions. And so you can get very efficient at tax, uh, just, you know, minimizing your tax bill the next year. Uh, also, if you, could, uh, if you invest in, in your long positions, things you want to be long, the investments like the SPY or the MDY we were just talking about, if you put them in your tax advantaged accounts, but you buy your hedges and you say you're non-tax-advantaged accounts, then you know, ideally in a steady moving market, your hedges are just going to lose a little bit of money over time. That's ideally what you want. We all want a steady upward moving market in which we're making money. Who wants to cash in their insurance, right? That's what a hedge is. It's insurance. So ideally, you would actually just be taking those losses in your tax advantage, in your tax accounts, right? And then being able to uh, use those losses come tax time uh, and your gains and things like the SPI or M D I just moving up in your other accounts. They also talk about uh, index option futures, which are, get a special tax treatment. Uh, these are called section 1256 contracts from the government. Uh, they are treated 60-40 long-term and short-term, no matter how long you held them. So even if you are sort of have a short-term hypothesis about the market and you want to use these options to create your positions, which we've discussed in the book, uh, you, you'll get at least 60% of it treated uh, as, a, as a long-term gain, which means you're going to get at least under today's tax laws and next year's tax laws uh, you'll get a uh, you'll get better treatment of course the future tax laws given what's going on in Washington right now uh, if I had that crystal ball uh, I'd, I'd tell you what it's going to be but uh, at least for this year next year uh, you're going to get that sixty forty treatment.
3: okay you describe in your book what you call the five iron rules of buy and hedge and so let's go through those rules the first one uh, being to hedge every investment. so it seems kind of extreme that every investment you would make you'd hedge but uh, what's that about and how should you do it?
4: Well, I mean, we're, we're mostly net long, uh, uh, investors, right? I mean, we, we are, you know, bullish the market most of the time and are not interested in timing, in, in, in timing the market. And so, since we don't want to be, be looking to time the market, uh, the safest way to then, to then be a long investor, be a buy and hold investor is to actually hedge. And so, hedging it, that's why we say hedge every investment. Now, you, you, you know, we have, there's an alternative we write in this chapter in which you only hedge your portfolio. So imagine you bought 10 stocks and, That overall portfolio is worth half a million dollars. Instead of building a hedge for each individual stock, you could build what we call a portfolio hedge, which is to buy a put on the market. Uh, say buy a put on the S&P 500 or, or, uh, uh, you know, build the right spread trade that gives you the exposure to that, to that, uh, uh, to the, uh, S&P 500 with protection. And so there's ways that, there's ways you just build that at a portfolio level. But ultimately, if you have a half million dollar portfolio, we'd like to see it, you know, we'd like to see it protected through hedging. And so, that's what shares the name of the book, Buying Hedge. It's the only rule that's got the word hedge in it. Uh, you know, and, 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 but ultimately, it's the, it's the most important rule, and it's the, it's the one we, we stress.
3: When you're buying a put, what time length should you do? If you do a short-term put, it's going to cost less, but it gives you less protection. If you do a leap or a long-term put, it's going to cost a lot more, and it covers you for a longer period of time. What length of time should you buy a put?
4: Well, we typically recommend looking at your protection six months out and uh one of the things we write about actually on our blog is a, is a, at com is a little more advanced technique called laddering. We don't write a lot about it in the book, but uh we 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 think you should be looking about 6 months out and then if you're but that 6 months out with building the hedge, we're long-term investors. We typically make investments with at least a year, if not 2 years or 3 years as our horizon, which means we're regularly rolling those hedges forward, right? We're looking at options that expire 6 months out and as we get nearer to that expiration, we're looking at rolling that hedge forward and if the market's gone up, we're looking at not only rolling the hedge forward another six months, but at moving that floor for that hedge up a little higher, effectively moving our protection up as the market goes forward. And what I mean by laddering is, imagine if, uh, if you were looking at six months out, imagine if you had, um, you know, six contracts in the, uh, uh, on the, on the SPY, on the SP 500, you'd have a contract that expires each of the next six months, right? And you would, um, and so every month you'd have one contract expired and you just roll that one forward so that you sort of always had a ladder, not unlike a fixed income ladder that uh, that as one matures and you get paid off, uh, your your principal, you reinvest that back into a bond that expires you know at the end of the ladder, and you're just constantly rebuilding the ladder. So we've talked about that on our blog if clients want to read sort of how to how to do that. Uh, but ultimately, you know we, sit, we look we have to look around six months out because it's like I said earlier, when the markets correct, they tend to correct fast to so the downside. But when they move up, they tend to move up a little bit more steady. And actually, we do an analysis over all of the updrafts and downdrafts in the market over the last 20 years, and you'll see based on the numbers that the markets, when they move down, tend to move down fast, but, they, but they, uh, when they move up, they tend to move up steady. And so actually, when you look at that some time frame, that actually is a fairly optimal time frame to look at, that four to six months range for building your hedges.
3: So when should you cash in your hedges? Say your hedge of six months, the market drops sharply, so your stock values are down, but the value of your hedge, your put option, has gone up dramatically. Um, you know, if you just let it expire, it'll never do any good. When do you cash in and actually, you know, realize the gain in your hedge?
4: Well, it depends, right? There's two answers to that question, right? If, if so, if they've actually gone into the money, they can expire, and you can actually, you can actually get get you know the payoff of the amount of of the amount that they're in the money. So. We're not advocates of timing the market. If for the long term you still want to stay long the market, you actually wait till expiration. You can either wait till expiration and then go ahead and cash out the part that it's in the money, or uh, you can roll it forward, say with a month to go or so left, and still realize some of the time value. But that, but that still says, hey, in the next month I don't expect that downside to be reached, or or I do expect it to stay at this level. I think we'd advocate to just if you're if you still want to stay long the market, you go ahead and wait for expiration. You don't try to time it. You don't try to be early. You don't try to be late. You don't try to avoid trying to guess which way it's going to go, um, you go ahead and let it get to expiration, and if it pays off, it pays off, and you take those profits in to help offset uh, your losses. But if that sudden market correction has made you market nervous, and your hypothesis about the market has changed, and you want to move out of the market, then not only should you, should you take the profit in your head, but you should unwind your long positions, too. So really, the question we write, the way we write it in the book, Jordan, is we say, Question your hypothesis about your investment. Has your hypothesis in your investment changed now that the stock has lost all that money? Or is it still a good stock? Is it still a good index? Do you still want to be long it? If the reason the stock has gone down is something has fundamentally changed in the company and your hypothesis has changed, to get out, right? Unwind it all. Take your profit in the hedge and get out of the underlying as well. But if it hasn't, keep rolling forward. Wait for expiration. If it's profitable, it's profitable. If it's not, it's not. We're not in the market here.
3: I mean, it sounds like your timing, say you're in a portfolio, you think it's particularly good stocks, everything looks fine, and something out of the blue, you know, Greece defaults or Lehman Brothers goes under, something extraneous goes out and the market falls dramatically, uh, your hedges have gone up in value. You're saying even in a case like that, when nothing has really changed with the fundamentals of the company, you should not, in effect, cash in your hedge and, and collect your winnings while you keep your portfolio there.
4: Well, remember, when the option expires, if it's in the money, it does get cashed out. You, you, you get paid on it, right? You, it'll get exercised or you'll sign it, right? So you will effectively take your profit, uh, at the time of expiration. So it's not, you're not foregoing it, Jordan, right? The, the expiration mechanic, your, your, your broker will always, if you're short an option, will, you know, will make sure it gets assigned to you. If you're long an option, will make sure that you assign it take the, uh, take the profits, uh, at expiration, which means you'll either deliver the stock or you'll receive the stock. Uh, at the price specified in the option, so you'll make your money at expiration either way. Mm. Uh, and the the difference is, if you want to stay long, you just to make sure you roll it back into the position after you, after you've taken that profit, you've delivered the stock of office stock. I mean that's the, and that's what it means to stay long. If you if your hypothesis is still the same, so it's not that you've foregone your 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 profits at at, at all, right? You you're not timing at all. You're just staying in the market because you still believe in your hypothesis but again you yeah. actually outline in the book right if your hypothesis is still valid keep rolling it forward and you might have to reset your your hedge to a lower number if it's come down but also if you've made a profit in your hedge that's offset some of your losses and you, you want to reinvest some of that that if you're going to stay long you want to reinvest some of that hedge profit back into the uh
3: security your next uh, iron rule is to know your risk metrics so what are some of the metrics that people should be following and how can they track them yeah, well we said
4: earlier, right, that people don't do a very good job at tracking their risk, they they track their return. The, the the number one risk metric is what we call capital at risk. And capital at risk is a is a it's been it thrown around a little bit in Wall Street as a metric, but we actually define it a certain way. It's I mentioned earlier it's like referred to as sort of as your sleep number. It's the total money that you could lose in your portfolio if all of your investments went against your hypothesis tomorrow, right? Given the hedges that you put in, what's the most amount of money? How much protection do you have? That's the most important, uh, risk metrics we track, but we actually give you four simple ones. Uh, there is the capital at risk, but you also need to understand the volatility of your portfolio. Uh, whenever you're gonna add a new investment, you should understand how volatile it is. You should understand the overall volatility of your portfolio. So you get a feel for whether or not the volatility of the investment you're about to add is gonna, is gonna, uh, to your uh, portfolio is gonna add or take away from your, your, uh, your overall volatility. Correlation is a similar metric for you to understand. It's, it's, it's understanding whether the investment you're about to add or take out of your portfolio is very correlated to, your, to all the investments that are, that are already in your portfolio, and you should always understand that because the more correlated a portfolio that you build, the more that it's going to move uh, lockstep uh, with each other and therefore with the market. So uh, that's a key metric for anyone to understand in sort of and sort of constructing the risk because the more investments you have that are uncorrelated or negatively correlated. Uh, the more diversified you're going to be, and therefore the the, the less volatile, and less risky your portfolio is going to be. And the fourth one is called implied leverage. Whenever you use options, by definition, you're getting leverage. And uh, you know if you if you have leverage in your portfolio, you got to monitor it closely. We actually don't recommend having an implied leverage greater than one dot uh, meaning you effectively, even though you're using options, don't really control any more stock as a dollar amount than what the total capital is that you brought to your portfolio to begin with. So we uh, we recommend, even though you're using options, you, option, you got to make sure that if you're using options to simulate uh, a long or short position in a particular stock or index, as opposed to just owning the underlying index and buying options on them, uh, then then we you know we recommend that you make sure you understand your implied leverage and you keep it below one or as close to one as you can. Those are the four metrics you got to understand. If you understand all four of those, you can be much more effective at managing your overall portfolio because you're managing your risk better.
3: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Wayne Furbert. Uh He is the author of Buy and Hedge, The Five Iron Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. Uh, he's also the co-founder of Zega Financial. We'll be back after this.
0: Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, keeps you informed of the ideological, theological, and economic war being waged against the United States of America. Kevin Lehman's bold and brilliant style challenges your deepest held beliefs and provokes you to ask the hard questions. Religious, scientific, political, or financial, Kevin is holding the establishment's feet to the fire with high-profile guests that include politicians, economists, theologians, and business titans. He'll demand truth over tradition and facts over fiction. Full of passion, wisdom, and wit, Kevin's transparent and no-nonsense style make Catch Kevin Unscripted and Uncensored, the go-to show for real insight on business, politics, social issues, and breaking news. It's time to get real, America. It's time to tackle the tough issues. Head on. Tune in to Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: If you are looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, Tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
3: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Wayne Ferber. Uh, He is the uh, principal at uh, Zyga Financial. Uh, He is also the author of a book called Buy and Hedge, The Five Iron Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. Before we get back to the rules, Wayne, just tell us briefly about your personal portfolio using these strategies and how that's done compared to the benchmarks.
4: So uh, I, I learned to use options. Uh, in 2007, uh, in late 2007. And while I was at Ameritrade, uh, you know, I, I, Ameritrade, we encouraged all of our employees to, uh, for lack of a better word, quote unquote, eat the dog food, uh, which is uh, another way of saying use all the products, right? To make sure that we're experimenting and using our own products that our own clients use. And, you know, there's a big, been a big push in the industry to use options and learn to manage them. And what I learned right away was while they, while they certainly were available for speculating and leverage, There's just a built-in risk management, uh, aspect about them. And, uh, I learned that in late 07 and started applying it to my own portfolio in early 2008. Uh, and the returns uh, on that portfolio, and actually all of my portfolios, are available online at www.buyandhedge.com. Uh, where, where actually not only is our blog located, but you'll see a tab called Performance, and if you click it, you'll see my personal returns for every single dollar of my discretionary accounts. Over the last three and a half years of all the money that I manage for myself. And that's every dollar of my personal money. And you'll notice I beat the market. I'm, I'm up 45% uh, over that time frame, January 1st, 2008 till, uh, till the end of August, uh, 2011. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 down about 9% over that same window. And you'll notice that uh, I'm pretty highly correlated to the S&P 500 because our book, one of our books is, uh, you know, the very next rule is about uh, asset allocation and diversification, we recommend uh, over 50% of your portfolio, around 50% of your portfolio to be invested in, in uh, broad indexes, and that's what I was, investing in broad indexes, but I also was hedged, and so I didn't experience the tremendous losses in 08. I protected my capital. My ca- capital was positioned to grow as the markets rebounded uh, uh, slowly through uh, late 09 and uh, into uh, 2010. And you know, while I've also was highly correlated to the to the broad market, I had lower volatility than the markets. My volatility is materially lower, and so that's the mine hedge approach. I mean, I learned the approach uh, doing it that way. My partner invests that way as well, uh, and now we want to you know manage people, other people's money, the same way through Zega Financial. So for people who read the book and say, "I love the idea, but it's not quite right for me," uh, we're applying that strategy, the buying hedge strategy, in their own personal portfolios uh, through our advisor, Zega Financial.
3: So, to tell us a little bit about the advisory business you have. Uh, what's the minimum, and what kind of fees, and, and what kind of services do you provide there?
4: Well, we just launched it, uh, so we're, we're uh, you know we spent uh, over a decade each us in the online brokers business, and so this is uh, the advisor business is brand new for us. Uh, we have a quarter of a million dollar minimum. Our fees range between uh, they start at one and a half percent and and move downward as uh, as, as uh, accounts get larger. And what we do is. We actually build in an asset allocation plan, individual to every client's risk, uh, and then we uh, we use a like indexing strategies in each client's account, and we build the hedges for each client personally based on his or her risk balance. So we can actually customize the the, uh, the risk for each client, as opposed to just giving each client a, a cookie cutter uh, allocation uh, that's not specific to them. And that's what's great, I think, about our advisors and what sets us apart is a lot of advisors will do asset allocation for you. And we will as well, but we also have this whole other continuum of risk management that we do related to hedging. So we can actually get much more finely tuned about the risk exposure we've built in your portfolio than the average advisor does.
3: Okay, another of your iron rules is to construct a long-term diversified portfolio. Uh, so briefly, why does that allow you to be hedged?
4: Well, it's, it's, uh, so if you're, if you're doing indexing like we're doing, you're, you're using broad indexes and you're diversified because those indexes are diversified. And we believe in diversification. Diversification is one of the ways to manage risk. Uh, you know, we're not, uh, we, we realize that that's a, 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 Nobel Prize winning financial theory. Uh, and we believe in it as well. So we use diversification because it, it makes sense. And because these broad indexes offer options, we're able to build the hedges on them. But we also always have a long-term outlook. Having a long-term outlook is also equally important. Uh, we invest for the long term, at least, and we don't buy anything with ex- expecting to create exposure in the client's account or our own account for at least a year uh, in that particular investment. We might get you out of it sooner if it makes all of its returns much quicker than we expected, but we actually go into every investment with at least uh, a one-year horizon. Being long term and being diversified are a key part of, uh, of building a smart portfolio.
3: And another of your rules is to unleash your inner guru. Uh, we talked about that briefly, but explain uh, how that's one of your rules of hedging.
4: Yep, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, not meant to, uh, um, you know, to, uh, 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 encourage you to go join commune or anything, uh, the unleashing in a guru, but it's actually about, uh, finding what you're good at from an investing perspective and maybe taking about 10 or 20% of your portfolio and making, uh, for lack of a better word, idiosyncratic investments, making a few maybe individual stock choices or individual sector choices that you know well. And putting about 10 or 20% of your money into that and then seeing how well you're doing it, trying to figure out what kind of an investor you are, figure out what you're good at and what you're not good at. You know, you can build a 50, 70, 80% asset allocation through indexing approach and, and make sure you build hedges on those. But then you can also build hedges on these idiosyncratic investments. And if you build built hedges on it, even though they might be individual stocks, and they certainly are individual stocks are more risky than buying a, a, a broad-based or sector-based uh, diversified ETF, uh, if you've built a hedge, at least you know you have the security of knowing you've, you've, you've limited your downside risk and, and the potential that you're wrong about that. Well, you've got to figure out what kind of investor you are. So we recommend that you uh, make some of those individual choices uh, of individual stocks when you're doing that.
3: And then your final rule is to harvest your gains and losses. Uh, how does that help you be hedged? The pick the
4: words harvest intentionally right it's a it's a farming metaphor right when a farmer uh ha, has crops and uh and and he uh, uh, he grows the crops when he's ready to take them and realize the profit of only he's got to go harvest them and bring them the market to market to sell them. And so when you're, you have gains in your portfolio, you need to make sure you're also taking those gains. Uh, and one of the great things about hedging and options is that you can actually take gains off the table while still staying long in individual positions. I mean, imagine if you bought Microsoft and all you did was buy the stock and it went up. For you to realize your gain... You'd have to sell it. Now you're no longer long Microsoft. But what if you still like Microsoft? But you'd still like to take your gain. Well, option, with options and hedging, if you had a big gain, you can reset your hedge to a higher floor, therefore locking in your profit without actually selling, uh, the Microsoft. That's one of those great, again, one of those great tax-efficient things, right? You don't have to realize the gain of Microsoft to lock in, to be able to lock in your gain because options are available to you. Uh, to do it. And so, we encourage you to harvest those gains and also harvest your losses the same way a a farmer would get rid of the the crops that have died on them that didn't work out. You've got to get them out of the way for the next crop. And you've got to do the same thing with your losses. When your hypothesis changed about what you invested in and you no longer think it's going to work and it's been a loser for you, you've got to make sure you, 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 uh, you get out of it, uh, or you, you know, take your hedging profits and get out of it if it's changed your hypothesis about why you're long it. But you've got to be taking those gains and losses. You can't just be a passive investor uh, who sits back and watches his losses uh, keep creeping lower.
3: Um, so in, in summary, we have about a minute to go. How much time does all this take to uh, hedge your portfolio? Is this going to be very intense for people, or is it not something they don't need to manage too much day to day?
4: I really, We really strongly believe this is a two- to four-hour-a-month exercise for the individual investor. Remember, you're investing for the long term. You don't have to log in every day. In fact, you shouldn't be logging in every day. Two- to four hours a month. Particularly, making sure you're spending time around option expiration to make sure you understand what you've got to roll forward and what you don't. The so two to four hours a month, it's not, it's not nearly as time-consuming as, uh, as I think people uh, think it's going to be. And You don't have to log in every day to track it. Why? Because you're hedged. You should be sleeping better at night knowing that your long-term investments are hedged anyway.
3: Very good. Okay, my uh, guest this hour has been Wayne Ferber. Uh, he is the co-founder of Zyga Financial. Uh, his new book is called Buy and Hedge, The Five Iron Rules for Investing Over the Long Term. Uh, his website is buyandhedge.com if you want to get more details about it. and There's a lot more details we didn't get to, particularly as far as options strategies. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Wayne. Thank you, Jordan. I had a great time. Thank you, and we'll be back another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.